You're listening to Packers Talk Network. Do you want to experience the thrill of a Packers game at Lambeau Field? If so, be sure to get your guaranteed authentic tickets from theticketking.com, a longtime trusted source and local Green Bay business. Just go to PackersTalk.com slash tickets for more information and ticket links. That's PackersTalk.com slash tickets. Welcome to the Packers Weekly Podcast, part of PackersTalk.com Network. I'm your host, Miles Tedek. I'm joined by your co-host, Tim Hamilton. We are diehard Packer fans that love talking about the Packers. We're not here with your national sports media headlines and all that nonsense. We're getting into real football. We're diving into the top topics around the pack every week, breaking down games during the season and sorting through all the drama and the rumors of the offseason. If y'all want to jump into the conversation with us, please check us out on Twitter or uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, at Pack Weekly Pod. We'd love to connect with y'all, go back and forth, talk the pack, banter a little bit. Who's frustrating you right now? What's going on? There's a lot, all right? There's a lot going on this season, lots of ups and downs, lots that we can argue about and, of course, uh, just have some good fan fun about. But uh, first, we got a special offer for you guys. We have, um, and through the end of this month, so few more weeks here, a couple more weeks, uh, 25% off the new Jerry Kramer biography, Run to Win. Just go to triumphbooks.com slash run to win and use offer code Packers Talk. Going to make a great Christmas gift or holiday gift uh, coming up here right around the corner for that diehard Packers fan that you know and love. Uh, Jerry Kramer, obviously one of the greatest Packers, part of that golden Lombardi era of Packers football. So uh, I got to imagine that is an excellent biography and a great read. So check it out, guys. Triumphbooks.com forward slash run to win. Use code Packers talk to get 25% off. And that is through the end of this month. So here we go. We're going to get into it. Uh, we've got a, another loss to pick apart here, but there might be some silver linings that we can have fun with. We're going to get into the Steelers game. Uh, we're going to talk about a few of the uh, topics going around, going around. But since that game, um, Jair will be out again against the Chargers. We're, you know, what's going on with uh, with Yash and, and and Walker at left tackle? Um, have you gotten into a Twitter fight with Christian Watson's family yet? If you haven't, you probably want to hear uh, that segment. Um, pretty entertaining stuff from the Watson family. Got to commend them and admire their defense of their family, but uh, certainly need to call them out on a couple of things because this fan base doesn't deserve all of the uh, the slander that's coming from that corner. So we'll get into that. We're going to get into the Chargers game. We're getting into all this stuff. But, uh, man, jumping us out here, Tim, did this team go forward or backwards with that game against the Steelers? I think there was progress. I think they – they took a small step forward. Um, I was more impressed with them in this game than the previous week when they beat the Rams. So I know that sounds strange coming off a loss, but I think they played a better team. And uh, I just think they there's baby steps that are happening, um, more so on the offense, and that's really 
where my focus is for the rest of the season because we know what the defense is, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, I think Jordan Love played maybe his best game of the season, definitely his best game since Chicago in week one. Yeah, he still made a couple mistakes at the end of the game, absolutely. But I think overall um, he, he made some really nice throws, nice down the field, down the middle throws that we haven't been seeing in quite some time from him. So saw progress with the quarterback, saw progress with the offense. Uh, you know, it's a loss, and there were still way too many mistakes that need to be cleaned up. Um, and just some small things that continue to happen to this team that when you get a lot of small things, it adds up and becomes a big snowball that comes down the hill on them and crushes them. And that's why they, they've lost so many games this season. They can't pull out the close games. You know, again, against Pittsburgh, couldn't win at the end. But, yeah, I think there was progress. I, I think it was a step in the right direction. Um, there, were, there were good signs, offensively at least, from the quarterback. So, you know, a tough loss, a game they very easily could have won and probably should have won. Um, there's a lot that we can dive into, you know, positive and negatives from that game. But, like, my overall sense of it, definitely disappointed with the loss, but big picture – it's not so much about wins and losses this year. It's about progress. And I feel like the Steelers game was some progress that hopefully now, you know, two straight weeks, they've, they've looked better. Um, still need to take a lot of big steps and a lot to clean up, but like uh, kind of getting a feeling they're moving in a, in a positive direction. Whereas, you know, a couple weeks ago when we talked, it just, it, it felt bad and it felt like, are we ever going to get progress from this team? Are they ever going to move forward and like kind of give us that good feeling this year? And I feel like we're, we're heading that way. So yeah, um, a tough game to lose, very winnable and it's, and it's disappointing that they didn't get it done, but there, there are good aspects of that game to look at and to take away from it, even without getting a victory. I, I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, it's, I think I agree. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's tough to say coming off a loss, but overall, yeah, well, I think I can be positive about that loss. Well, it's and it's interesting the comment you made about this week looking uh, potentially better than than last week, which you know the win against the Rams, but um, that only sounds weird to the person who's not watching the football games. You know what I mean? Like when you watch the football games the end score doesn't necessarily tell the entire story of, of what we're interested in right now. Eventually, you know, when you're in a position to be a contender, you're trying to make the playoffs, you're trying to make a Super Bowl run. Um, wins and losses is really all that matters. But right now, when you've got the youngest roster in the league, there are, uh, I won't call them moral victories, but there's just things that you're looking for within each game to decide whether or not, you know, the team took a step forward in that game and, and winning is not a prerequisite to that. Um, so th yeah, I agree with you, man. I agree that there was progress here made. I agree that, um, you know, they generally looked better against the Steelers than they did against the Rams. And I would even say, you know, we can get into this if you want to now, but that one play where, you know, you've got the backwards pass backwards by damn near a yard. Um, that was the difference between the Packers getting the ball, the one yard line right there, potentially pushing it in for a touchdown and, and not. So that felt to me like a pretty pivotal point of the game, something where you can look at and go, man, 
they might have had a chance to win this game. Something out of their control happened. So it's not – I'm not sitting here going, you know, oh, screw those refs. They should have won this game. If we were in a position to fight for a playoff spot, I might be a little bit more fired up about that. Yeah. Um, but really, it's sort of almost a refreshing thing. It's like, dang, you mean that you can actually point to something that they, you know, the, one of the reasons that they lost and say that that wasn't their fault, right? Oh, well, that's, that to me is a step in the right direction. Like, as, as sloppy as the season's been, all the losing that they've had has been certainly their fault there's there's nothing that you're looking at well they got a bad call here they got a bad call there yeah there's been bad calls but none of that has been the reason that they've been a bad team or they've lost these games whereas in this one you're like okay well if that call goes the other way this is this might be a win uh and if it's a win you're talking about the game a little bit differently um than the way we're talking about here is a loss so these are splitting hairs Fans, these are very small things, right? I'm not looking to grasp at straws here. I'm just, I, maybe I am, I guess. But I'm not looking to find something that makes me believe this team can compete for a Super Bowl this season. What I'm looking for is just optimism that these guys are growing, that they are uh, getting closer to being a more competitive team. And I think that we saw that. I, I really believe that. Um like you said, it wasn't perfect. Obviously, if it was perfect. They w- would have won the game. Um, you don't have to have a perfect performance to take positives out of it or to say that you took a step forward uh, as a player or a coach. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, there's, you know, I think they went forward here. And <laughs> even, even the poor performance by the Joe Barry defense, I'll, I'll consider a step forward because uh, it gets us a step closer to our next defensive coordinator. And uh, I'll admit last week, I, I really was worried that Joe Barry was going to mess around and uh, do enough to keep his job this season. And I think after giving up 200 yards on the ground to the Steelers, um, that worry is, is subsided a little bit. But uh, yeah, so I agree with you overall, man. I think that, you know, steps forward were taken. Um, were there enough? No, I mean, there's still a lot to criticize here. So, you know, I, I we can move on to answer that question. I mean, what do you think Tim is, uh, there's a lot of causes for the loss of this game, but what, what would you put the primary, primary cause as? It was a lot of little things. Like you mentioned the backward pass. That's, it was a big play in the game. Now they would have gotten it inside the five. They, it, it wouldn't have been a touchdown or Sean Gary recovered it. I don't, they blew the whistle number one. So I don't think they would have allowed the play to continue and said Packers touchdown. Plus he actually stepped out. Right after he recovered the yeah. fumble. So regardless, they would have had it first and goal. And I'm not sure they would have got a touchdown with the way their, off- their red zone offense was on Sunday. Um, they just had poor execution within the red zone. So it at least cost them a chance at three. Hopefully, you know, they would have gotten seven there. But, yeah, the, the red zone offense was a, was a failure on Sunday, and it was a big part of it. Just too many mistakes there. Um, we mentioned here, you mentioned the, the defense and the run defense giving up 200 yards. You can't win a football game when you give up 200 yards rushing like that. They just got, yeah. no. and then like, it's just little mistakes here and there that just add up, you know, they had chances for potentially two touchdowns to Aaron Jones on passes near, nearer inside the red zone. So the one, the first one is, was a screen pass where, Jones gets outside, Runyon is the lineman coming out blocking for him, and it's literally a one-on-one block. If Runyon makes the block that he's supposed to make, Jones 
probably scores. I mean, there were a couple Steelers closing, so if he doesn't score, he's inside the ten, and it was a, right. they had an opportunity. It would have been a first down and a first and goal inside the ten. And Runyon just whiffs on the block. He can't get the block made, and they ended up kicking a, I believe, kicking a field goal on that drive. Um, it's you know, you have one guy to block. You've got to make that block. They had another play that. They sprung to Jones. He was in the backfield. It was actually a real nice design. He was to the right of Jordan Love and shotgun. The receivers all, I think they had a um, trips formation to the left. So the receivers on the left all came across to the right, and Jones kind of sneaked out from the right to the left and was basically all by himself. Um, linebacker came, chased him down from behind. He made a nice play, tripped him up, like got the back of his ankle. Man, like credit the linebacker, good job coming out there and making the tackle. But you like to see Jordan or Aaron Jones, you know, make the guy miss, break the tackle there because it's a touchdown. There was nobody between him and the end zone, so it's like small plays like that that kind of add up. Plus the drop passes, and there were a few of those again in the game. And then you had mistakes at key times by some of the veteran players um, driving down the field for the potential winning drive. Aaron Jones makes a catch, and instead of getting out of bounds, he cuts it back to the middle of the field and really gets nowhere, gets back to the line of scrimmage. Clock's running, they're out of timeouts, and they end up wasting a ton of time because he didn't know to go to the sideline and get out of bounds. That's that's a veteran that cannot make a mistake like that in a crucial situation. So it's just it's different things It's that just add up, and it's all these like death by a thousand cuts. I feel like, and you know, the big mistake and the big problem was the run defense and just the overall plan or lack of a plan defensively from Joe Barry. And it's just, it's so frustrating knowing that you're playing a team like the Steelers who have struggled all season on offense to move the ball, to score points, to really do anything on offense. I mean, if you... (laughs) For those of you that aren't that in tune with the Steelers or Steelers fans, Matt Canada is basically what we think of Joe Barry. Like they want him gone. I'd argue it's even worse, man. You don't have like Milwaukee Brewers games over there saying fire Joe Barry in the crowd. And that's what they they have multiple sports yeah. in that area. Was it hockey games that they were saying? Fire Matt Canada. Yeah, they I mean they were chanting at previous Steeler home games. It's they want him out of there. And the yeah. first two drives of the game, he just came out and ate Joe Barry's lunch, punched him right in the mouth. Like, and it was—it's just some of it. I cut—I I almost expected it, but it's still unbelievable to expect that to happen to that poor of an offense. And your defense shows up and just gets shredded by him. Like, how does that happen? And it, it, it's not the first time. It won't be the last time we're going to see it from a Joe Barry-led defense. But it, it's just so incredibly frustrating. They continue to come out and they were lined up basically most of the game in nickel defense. And the Steelers just said, you're going to line up in nickel. They live and die in nickel. So we can, you know, I know Matt LaFleur talked about, well, we had four defensive linemen out there. Okay. Call the, call them outside linebackers, call them defensive ends, call them edge rushers, whatever the hell you want to call them. It doesn't matter because you're still in nickel defense. And they're running the ball down your throat. And there's just, there's no adjustment. You have your defensive ends or whatever you want to categorize them as. I'll call them edge rushers. They're lined up wide 
outside the offensive tackles. There's huge gaps inside. You're playing sometimes with one inside linebacker. They were walking out either Campbell or McDuffie sometimes to the edge. So you're, you're just leaving the whole middle of the field. There, there's times inside the 10-yard line where there's three guys, three interior players, two down linemen and a middle linebacker. And the Steelers gladly ran right up the middle and it was a walk-in touchdown for Najee Harris. We've, and we've just seen it consistently throughout this season why you continue to play light boxes, why you continue to play nickel defense when it's third and short, fourth and short, when they come out in 12 personnel, you continue to play nickel defense. Like, I get it's a passing league, but when a team is showing you that they're going to run it on you when you come out in a certain formation and you can't stop it, why do you continue to run the same stuff over and over again? There's no adjustments. It's really frustrating, man. I mean, in my comment to LaFleur, and I'm sorry to cut you off. I'll let you finish your thought. But my comment uh, to LaFleur's presser, I guess that was yesterday, when he, or maybe the day before, when he brought up the the terminology, you're exposing yourselves when you say stuff like that. Like, yep. And that's what your run defense is doing, too, while you are talking semantics about what this guy is. Um, I'll tell you what he's not. He's not stopping the run. Like, <laughs> call him what you want, coach. Where are the ones that stop the run? Like, did you put them on the field or no? Like, are they? Are the, I don't. Are they D linemen? Whatever you call these guys, call them the the run stuff specialists if you need to. Where are they? Because that wasn't on the field. You know, whatever position it is that that does that job, they weren't on the field because you made and you know really not a good offense look like uh, an all pro, you know, running offense. They looked like a top five running offense against the Packers putting up over 200 yards. That's the part to me that was frustrating that there wasn't a reporter in the room to have that rebut. It's like, okay, fine, dude, you want to criticize us about our use of terminology. Why didn't you stop the run? Answer that question. Just answer that. I don't care who, who's, who's what. Why didn't you do that? Or why has this been a problem since he's been the head coach? Mike Pettin's defenses couldn't stop the run. So you, you change coordinators, you go to a new defense, and Joe Barry's defenses can't stop the run. So what's the problem, Matt? Like, you want to talk about defensive linemen or outside linebackers and how many guys have their hands in the ground and how many – who cares? Stop the run. Like, what's the issue? Because – it continues yeah. to happen week after week. So, like, if you're – he's telling people you're exposing yourself for calling it, you know, two down linemen when it's really – we consider it four defensive linemen. Okay, well, you're exposing yourself as a head coach when you keep this defensive coordinator employed for three years now, and he's done nothing to prove himself as a quality defensive coordinator. He shouldn't be an NFL exactly. defensive coordinator, but – you continue to trot them out there and you continue to defend them with no answers for how things are going to improve. And there's been no improvement. Like you can go back the last two games. Okay. They stopped the run against Minnesota and the Rams. Big deal. Those teams can't run the ball either. Rams were playing with Brett ripping at quarterback. Like you can't base it on that. So when teams that, and, and the Steelers aren't even a quality offense, but they just looked at it and said, we're going to run the ball until they stop it. And frankly, Pittsburgh ran the ball more in that game, but 
you know, whatever. They didn't. They just ran it down your throat. The Lions ran it down your throat, and they're going to do the same thing on Thanksgiving. Like, you can't stop the run. So why has this been an ongoing problem, why he's been the head coach, and why Barry's been the defensive coordinator? There's- I think that's an interesting question because and, – and I don't know – we have amnesia as a fan base these days, so I don't know how many people can remember that there was actually a, a small period of time there where we liked Mike Pettin. I, I thought Mike Pettin was – when he took over, the defense seemed to have a new life from uh, the old Dom Capers, right? And we were – you know, we, none of us were happy with the end of Dom Capers' uh, time. And in his prime and his best, he was the best or one of them. He was awesome. But at the end there, he was just not very good. Um, so I do – I do remember a time that – we liked Mike Pettin, and you're right. It was after LaFleur came in that that changed. And the one thing that I remember is the Packers getting it handed to them by the 49ers. You got you know Shanahan, and that was when Sala was the defensive coordinator. And I remember the comment that um, Shanahan essentially – knew Mike Pettin like the back of his hand, you know, and then they talked about when they were both in Cleveland and um, Shanahan would just embarrass Pettin's defenses in practice. And he kind of, he almost took it, you know, a little too far, right? Like he was really trying to beat Mike Pettin, uh, you know, kind of as a coach versus coach thing. Um, And when that played out, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing how well, Shanahan knew how to take advantage of Pettin, and that was where it sort of it, everything changed for me. It was like, all right, uh, you can't have that. <laughs> you might be good against most of the teams in the league, but when that team right there that basically is always going to be between you and the Super Bowl has your number like that, no, you ha- you 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 can't stick with that. You have to make the change. Of course, they did. And he goes with Joe Barry. He makes the move, and we've talked about this. It's the loyalty move instead of the you know hiring the best staff you can hire move. Um, you just can't make a case that Joe Barry was the best defensive coordinator available when they were hired. Not even close. It's, it's not. Yeah, there's there's not a case to be made. So don't even waste your time trying. And that to me is you know you, you come back to this point you're like all right what in the hell is going on you know because i remember when joe barry took over there were some points where we were like all right this defense looks pretty good they look like they're doing some good things and and i remember one game specifically i can't remember the exact week but it was towards the end of the season i believe it was 2021 or 2020 i think it's 2020 because i remember the uh, empty bleachers and everything um that was when derrick henry was just rolling over the league Every, he was 250 yards and three touchdowns a game, man. He was just crushing. Nailing in fantasy, just nobody could stop him. And I remember that they were coming into Lambeau, and everybody was looking. The Packers' run defense hadn't been great, but everybody was looking like, Joe Barry, you have one job, dude. Stop the run. They're not passing the ball right now. The Titans aren't going to throw for 400 on you. Stop this dude. And he did. I think in that game, they held Derrick Henry to like 50 yards or something. Yeah, it was under 100, and that was the A.J. Dillon out ran him, and A.J. Dillon was a rookie. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Williams and, uh, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones got hurt, and he ran better than Derrick Henry. And that's where I'm looking at this going, and then, gosh, how many times have we talked about the players like this too? You've seen it. You've seen he can do it. He can do it. He's he's demonstrated that he can stop the, the most dominant running back in the league 
if that's what he can focus on. And I, I guarantee, you know, we've heard it a little bit with this nickel thing. They're worried about getting beat over the top. I don't know why. They have a, still have a, a better defensive backfield than half the league. Well, I don't know about that with, with Russell being traded and Jair being out. But, like, well, with, with Jair being out, maybe not. Yeah, like, with Jair in there, you, you have a better defensive backfield than half the league. There are some really ugly defensive backfields. Out yeah, there. and I, I kind of could see this performance coming from the defense when I saw that Jair wasn't going to play, and I'm like, oh, he's he's going to be so scared of leaving Valentine and Valentine out there. He's going to sit in two shell, high, two, high safeties the whole game. And he basically right. did. And it's like, yeah. really, dude? Like, you're playing Kenny Pickett. Like, I don't care who your corners are. You shouldn't be playing scared of Kenny Pickett. Really? Well, you, you shouldn't be playing scared, and you can't play predictable. Right. You know, that when you're playing means... scared, you are predictable. And good coordinators know it, and a bad coordinator, like yeah. Canada know it even. And it's just like, LeFleur <laughs> fell so in love with this too-high safety defense, you know, trying to copy what Vic Fangio did and what Brandon Staley did for just one season with the Rams. And we'll get into the Chargers and how their defense sucks with Brandon Staley. But he fell in love with playing that scheme. That's why he hired Joe, ba- Joe Barry. So you're playing this two high safeties, trying to take away explosive plays, but yet the Packers give up the fifth most explosive plays per game. So you're giving up explosive plays. You're getting it run down your throat. You don't get turnovers. What the hell does this defense do that's good or even close to good? Yeah, and that's that question has to be answered. And here, here I'll give... I'll give Matt LaFleur uh, a tiny benefit of the doubt and just because I've experienced this. So quick little little story here. When I uh, I played football at UWO and, you know, we got we got a Packer fan base. A lot of you guys probably know UW Oshkosh and played for Pat Cerrone. Great head coach, won a lot of games, got that team to a national title. Um, didn't win, but they were in the game. Um, excellent coach. One thing that I remember him telling us all the time, he, he told us, he said, when I go in that press conference there, I'm going to say some shit, but it's not the shit that I tell you guys. So he always had this like, look, I'm real with you, but I'm going to go say some things to, you know, to the media or whatever to make them happy. And he was right. He, you know, the stuff that he ended up telling the media, I always kind of chuckled. I was like, God, that doesn't sound like coach at all. <laughs> that just sounds like a guy. Like, I don't know what the hell he's saying. Um, but he did it intentionally, right? He didn't, he wanted to be man to man with his players. And he didn't believe that people outside the building, you know, had earned, uh, sort of that access, right? He didn't need, and it was strategic too, right? He's not going to show his hand in some ways and all that kind of stuff. I will give LaFleur the benefit of the doubt that that's what he's doing here. That he's he's got his arm around Joe in the film room and he's going, dude, you are on a short leash right now. like, And it is getting shorter. Now I'm going to go out there and I'm going to defend you again. And I'm going to show a united front to this press. But man. You are on your last leg right now. You have got to get this fixed. I don't know if I believe that that's really what's happening, but I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, especially after you know he's kind of shown that he's looking to emulate uh, Bill Belichick a little bit. Who we always, you know, we know historically that guy uh, is not really transparent with the media at all. Um, so I'll give him that. 
But this offseason is what's going to tell that, right? If he doesn't get rid of Joe Barry, assuming Joe Barry doesn't have some kind of crazy, miraculous turnaround with this defense, um, which, again, would almost be just kind of unfortunate because I don't think any of us believe that it's sustainable. Um, If he's not able to do that and basically make the same move that he did going from Mo Drayton to Rich Passaccia, which, again – I've said it before. It's not like Passaccia is the best guy in the league. He was a pretty good option at the time, right? That was when he was interim uh, for a uh, interim head coach for a disastrous Raiders team, and they actually made it to the playoffs somehow. That was the year that they got rid of Gruden. They had uh, what was his name? Rugs get you know get in the car accident, and they lose him, and just a bad year for that team all around. And somehow he pulled them together, got them in the playoffs. I think that was a hell of an accomplishment on his part, just from a leadership perspective. So Matt LaFleur demonstrated he can go from saying, all right, I made a mistake. I tried to give my guy a chance. It didn't work out. Um, So now I'm going to go and I'm going to try to bring in this guy who you probably could make a case that at the time he was the best option available for a special teams coordinator position. Um very well respected throughout the league again not not necessarily the best in the league but might have been the best available at the time you have to make that kind of change this offseason Matt LaFleur you have to go from you gave your guy Joe Barry a chance I'm even willing to say that he did better as a defensive coordinator with the Packers than he had with his other opportunities to be a defensive coordinator so maybe he can take that and be good somewhere else good for you man I hope best for the person Joe Barry but you have to then go out and say who is the best defensive coordinator defensive coordinator available to me right now i'm gonna go get that guy and plug him in and there's some nuance there is it a three four are you going to change your form out of your defense that kind of stuff i don't think you know there's a lot there's a lot you can unpack there but you certainly don't stay the same because of it you you don't stay with joe barry just because well we run a three four and we don't want to change that or you know whatever the case may be you, you have to make the change you, you've you've done this you've exhausted the experiment you have to try something else yeah and if Lafleur doesn't make the change that says a lot more about Lafleur than it does about joe barry and we need to be talking about Lafleur. true he should continue as the head coach because yeah you're gonna- i think at that point you have the same gut check then you have to look at it at, at at uh goot and go hey man yeah i, I get it like lafleur could be a good head coach but he's making a fatal mistake I here and you can say you can't allow that if you're mark murphy or good or whoever is going right. to be part of that discussion like he's got to make that change and if he wants to continue with joe barry then i think maybe they need to make a change at head coach at that point because they can't keep doing this and it shows that he he really struggles with picking his staff and, you know, yeah, it's hopefully it's not something that we have to have a discussion about or see. And he comes to his senses and fires this guy. But what scares me is after they get through these next games against the Chargers with Justin Herbert, the Lions with Jared Goff, and then the Chiefs with Mahomes, they play a string of games in December against some bad quarterbacks and some bad offenses. And I worry if, like, the defense plays okay and it's, you know, a lot of that well, they held them, you know, under 20 points. And, and even though we've seen that this year, and it, their defense is yep. still bad, but it kind of looks better than it really is. If that gives him reason to keep Barry and and, and he thinks that they're, like, improving or something and he's going to keep – because it almost reminds me a little bit of last season when in December their defense all of a sudden started getting a bunch of takeaways, right? And, right. and 
they looked better than what their defense really was. And I think that's part of why he gave them a third season was like, wow, they look good in December. Maybe we're coming on. We found, you know, found different ways to use our guys or different things we've tried or working. And now we can carry that into next season. And now it's the same thing again. It's like, don't be fooled if they go and they beat up on the Giants who don't have a quarterback or they beat up on Baker Mayfield or they beat up on Justin Fields again, like, or Carolina's on a schedule. Like, they're they're probably going to play good against these teams just because these other quarterbacks and offenses stink. But that doesn't mean they're a good enough defense or a well-coached defense. Like, you have to make the change. Yeah. No, I, t- I totally agree, and, and that's the part that kind of worries me about the rest of this season is can he do just enough to scary. justify that? But here's here's the thing that we have to factor in, and this is a little bit harder to see, especially as a fan and an outsider, but Goot is the one who's responsible for deciding about Lafleur. Well, right? He's the no. one if, if – the- No, because remember when they when they made the change to – hired good after Ted stepped away, it became this whole three guys reporting up to Mark Murphy, which is good Russ ball and the head coach, which was McCarthy and then became LeFleur. So it's like, right. Mark Murphy ultimately has the call on it. Like I don't fair structure. Fair. I don't good has a, but that doesn't short. Right. And that doesn't necessarily change, I guess what I was, what I was going to present. So let's, all right. So that, in that structure, that accountability structure, Goot definitely still has a strong voice, right? And, and what we have to acknowledge as a part of the equation is does Goot believe that the talent that he has given to the defensive side of the ball is sufficient to, to be, you know, a better defense, right? Like, and, and so what are the success metrics, right? You, there's definitely some stuff that Joe Barry's held accountable to, whether that's done well or not is different, but there's most certainly, un, undoubtedly, he's he, at the beginning of the year, here's your goals. Just like any employee, here's your goals, man. Here's what we're going to do this year. Um, you know, we, we want to get, you know, um, a, a plus two turnover margin. You know, we want to have, uh, you know, this many yards per game. There's there's certain benchmarks that you just want to set and, and either meet or be better than, right? And guaranteed he has stuff like that. Then the question, and Mark Murphy turns to, all right, well, you know, do you believe that you gave him, you know, talent sufficient to achieve those goals? I don't see any scenario where Goot's like, well, I mean, we could have given him this or that. You know, I feel like, my my response to that would be how many first round picks do you need? Right. You know, and 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 at that point, certainly the natural fireback, the natural counter is, well, you've given us bad talent. Does anybody believe that right now? Like, what what's the biggest bust that Goot has put on the defense? Now, we, there's some offensive problems for sure. But if there's a strength here, Good has done a great job, even even outside of the uh, the draft, right? With Devondre Campbell, with Rasul Douglas, he's done a fantastic job of putting defense on that defensive side or putting talent on the defensive side of the ball, right? Yeah, I mean he's he spent first round picks, like he said, he spent free agency money, he's paid guys, you know, second contracts. Like, are the, I don't. 
I don't think they are a top 10 defense with the talent they have. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think they could. Oh, they could be for sure with the right coach. But I've seen plenty of defenses with less talent be much better than this defense. And I think that's the better way of looking at it. Well, and I think that's what makes the point, though. That that's yeah, you you've seen less talent do more, which that's where I'm looking at this going. Okay, well then, can we at least try to get the potential out of this group? And 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 that's what, like what we're talking about here is again, like who does this come down to? In that room, you got the meeting of the minds led by Mark Murphy at the head of the table. I think there's a case just from a, you know objective measures on the offensive side to say, Hey, did you guys have what you needed to meet your goals this season? Probably not. Right. You can, you can sit there and say, well, no, we had the youngest roster in the league. We had, you know, we're, we're we've got holes here. We had, we were expecting to have uh, a solid left tackle. And then, you know, that lot that got taken away from us after game one. And now we've had sort of a, certainly less than we thought there at that position, but has any other position met or exceeded expectations? I think the answer is no. And that I think there's a case to be made to say, well, what did we have as far as talent goes on that side of the ball? Could we have, you know, do we need more to make a good evaluation? I think the answer is yes. And it's not necessarily, you know, that you need to sign a bunch of free agents and you need to trade for a bunch of first round draft picks and get, uh, you know, three first round draft picks on the offensive side of the ball this year and all that kind of stuff. You know, I don't think you're that deficient, but I think the problem is, is they went too far in one direction. So you can't, um, you don't, you know, with the age thing is where I'm going. You, you can't make a good evaluation when everybody's a rookie, essentially, you know, um, so that's the problem, I think, and then the difference that you have as far as like, well, what do we do here? Who's accountable? And I think, again, what we've said is if if Lafleur is at that table saying, I'm going to bat for my guy and Joe Barry's the guy for this job, certainly at that point, in my opinion, and like, I don't, again, I don't know how you would see a different way of this. Like it becomes goot against them. Right. There is an adversarial position there because Goot's going, guys, I gave you everything you could have asked for on that side of the ball. And again, you pivot back to, he, he could say, I get it on the offense. We need work there. We, we need to, we need help on the offensive line. We need a, another vet in the room. I get it. We need work there. We didn't meet our goals. Certainly I've had my thoughts about Adam Stinovich as a coordinator. I think you need offensive leadership in there, but the talent isn't there. Not in a, not yet. Now, with a couple of years, I think that several of these guys are cornerstones of this offense. Jordan Love, I still believe, is the guy. I think that uh, Romeo Dobbs, in, at, in the receiver group, you have some great building blocks, but you have to let them grow. It's not going to happen overnight. you know. And, and this is a decent little segue here. And I've gotten kind of long-winded, Tim. I'll make sure you get, <laughs> you get your point in here, man. Um, but this is a, a good way to look at it. We right now are stuck with Devontae Adams' second season basically across the board, right? Everybody was very frustrated with Devontae Adams after his second season. And a lot of people on Twitter have made this case. But would any of you, hindsight being what it is, would any of you move on from Devontae Adams? The answer is no. And if your answer is yes, then I'm not even willing to hear your explanation because it's insane. 
No, you would not move on for, from Devontae Adams. He became and still is arguably one of the best receivers in the league. So you, I, that's what my point would be is I think you have some of these guys like a Christian Watson who is, um, being, you know, getting the least amount of single coverage of any receiver across the entire league to this point in the season. He's got to learn how to beat double coverage. He's a second year receiver and he's the, the veteran in the room. That is a very hard thing to learn. Devonte Adams, when he was in the same position, was learning from guys like Greg Jennings, Devon, or uh, uh, Randall Cobb, and um, maybe Greg Jennings was Jordy. Did they? I can't remember if they overlapped or not. No, nah, it was Jordy, and uh... it was Jordy. That's right. It was Jordy. It was Jordy, Randall Cobb, and and James Jones. Still excellent, just top character humans in that room, ready to teach this man how to do his job. Christian Watson is in there trying to Google how to beat double coverage right now. He's not going to have his offensive coordinator who has been a lifelong offensive line coach and going, Hey man, how do I beat double coverage? <laughs> I don't know. Stinovich, tell me, brother, what do you got? I, I mean, I would look at Jason Vrabel, but my, I have the same criticism for him. He, he didn't demonstrate any value whenever he had pieces to work with. When you had veterans in the room, you had your Alan Lazards, you had your Randall Cobbs, you had your Aaron Rodgers. Jason Vrabel was not helping those young guys last year or before that. So I'm not willing to even look at him and go, he's the guy that's going to help Christian Watson learn how to beat double coverage. There's nobody in the building that's going to help that dude beat double coverage except for him. He's just got to go out and get the reps. And guess what, guys? That's a slow process. That is a very slow process. One rep at a time learning how to beat double coverage is a, it's going to take some time. Can he do it? He's got all the tools. He's got every tool you could ask for. Everybody that wants Marvin Harrison Jr., physically, they're about the same, right? Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr.'s got way more polish. Um, I'm not trying to compare the two. He will be a top-five draft pick, I believe. Um, Tools-wise, just physical tools, speed, size, jumping ability, they're about the same. So if you're asking yourself, like, like, if you guys are really trying to move on from Christian Watson, year two, Christian Watson, guy who hasn't even finished two years in the league with the tools like that, like you're just, you're missing the point. You got to see what you can do with these tools. And you've got to think of it from a human perspective of this guy is trying to figure out how to do something as a professional with zero mentorship right now. Zero. Okay. That is hard y'all. And your jobs, Tim, your job, man, you've been doing your job for a while. Like you had to learn from people who were doing it before, right? Absolutely. And if you didn't have that opportunity, it would have been a lot harder. I've done that before. I've been thrust into a job where it's like, yeah, this is a new position. So figure it out. Um, it's hard, man. It's, it's really intimidating too. And I'll tell you one thing that is, sticks out to me. And I can't say that this is an apples to apples comparison, but it's, possible that it translates when you're trying to figure out how to do your job without any kind of guidance from somebody else who's been good at the job you're not good at the other things you would be good at like you the, the things that you're normally good at that you would normally excel with those things come down because you're putting so much energy into trying to figure out how to do your job so I, I got really long-winded there, man. Let me give you a chance to jump in, Tim, and, and give your thoughts. On well, that. just on Christian Watson, like I, I'm not ready to give up on him at all. I think it's obviously way too soon, and we should all have learned from Devontae Adams. Like you got to be patient with him. He's got all the talent in the world, but he's struggling. And 
yeah, from a coaching standpoint and a scheme standpoint, they can definitely help him out, you know, creating easier um, routes for him to run, it, not be such a deep threat. Like, yes, he's got the deep speed and he can get the, and he can make plays down the field. We saw that last season, but he hasn't made those plays this year. So let's maybe get him some easy catches, some easy targets, especially early in games, kind of build him back up, build his confidence. And then we'll start looking for the big plays from him. I just, yeah. So like that's more of a scheme and like how you're going to use him, but he's just, he's struggling physically too. Like, and what I, what I mean by that is when it's a contested catch, he's not coming down with it. There's way too much throwing it up to him and, you know, and he's falling backwards trying to wait for the ball to hit him in the chest. Like you got to go up and get the ball. You know, um, the route running hasn't been great. Even LaFleur said on the first interception that Love threw in the game on Sunday, yeah, Love probably shouldn't have gone there with the throw, but it also wasn't a good route from Watson. Yeah. So, and half of Love's interceptions this season have come when he's targeting Watson. So there's a disconnect there between quarterback and receiver. So well, and and that's where I, I found it very interesting that Watson's been or, or seen the least amount of single coverage uh, this season. And, and so one thing I would say about that is obviously teams don't want to get beat by Watson over the top, like because again, you can think of more dangerous receivers, right? You can think of the Tyreek Hills and the AJ Browns, and they have seen single coverage more than than Christian Watson, which is isn't. Just interesting. And I think that's but a lot of it comes, I think, from teams seeing him get deep last year and make those big plays and they made the adjustments that all right, we're gonna have two guys or you know, have a safety over the top on him for these deep routes, and that's what's taken it away. Right. Well, and the thing about that is it's working, right? They're clearly doing it. They're clearly sending that double coverage with him. The only way you're gonna get teams to continue doing that is for them to believe that the threat is real. So whether you complete the pass or not, you do need to keep making those shots so that the defense has to respect it. And and so that that is one area I will say you don't have to have uh, the best completion percentage. You certainly don't want to see the interceptions. But throwing the deep ball a few times and getting an incompletion is not the worst thing because you, you force those DBs to run just the same, right? You, they had to sprint downfield and get back. So they're going to be tired from that. And- and they have to pay attention to it, which is going to take their attention from something and else. Now, draw. where we're failing is taking advantage of that. That's my assessment. Yeah, and he, he he is getting that attention, drawing the attention away from other guys, which you know maybe is helping guys like Jaden Reed and, and Dontavian Wicks and Luke Musgrave, who are now stepping up and making plays, which is great to say. But you know, Watson, it's it's a struggle, and I kind of like I look at him right now. I'm like, what is he? You know, we expected him to be wide receiver one. We expected him to be the big play guy. He hasn't been any of that this year. He's dropped passes. He, he's struggled with contested catches. He hasn't run great routes. There's no chemistry right now with Jordan Love. So, like, I, I, I'm i trying to be patient. I will be patient. I'm not for moving on from him in any way, shape, or form right now. But I almost think that, like, you, you kind of got to start building him back up and just making things a little bit easier for him. Um and, you know, like a guy like Wicks and even Jaden Reed, who's been playing a ton, but maybe it's time for Wicks and Reed to take some of his snaps too. Not saying I want to bench him completely, but 
you almost kind of got to slow it down for him, I think, at this point. And if other guys are, are making plays and showing the ability to get open, you got to go to them. And um, I, I just I think it's time for them for time for that to happen. It's going to be beneficial for Jordan Love. And it, so I, my, what I would say to that, though, is how many of those opportunities to read and Wix and anybody else that's not Christian Watson are made possible because the defense has two defenders flying down the field with Christian Watson? It's a good question. I don't have an answer to it. That's a, you know. Right. right. We'd have to look at that. Yeah. But, but that's that's the thing that I would – at least the thought that I would present to people who want to – and I don't disagree as far as, like, let's get his confidence built up. Let's get some uh, easy wins, essentially. Get yeah. some short catches where he can run, you know, like in the Philly game last year. Just a nice over route. He's coming across the field. You dump it for five, six-yard pass, and he let, let the, uh, the Jets turn on for him. You need some of that. But, again – I think it is fair, and, and this is just something we need to watch for because, like you said, I don't know for sure how many of those opportunities have been created because Watson's running down the field with two DBs, but I can almost guarantee some of them are a result yeah. of that. And so I would just say watch for that this week. You know How how much are they using Watson to, to pull the defense in a direction to help everybody else? My The criticism is, is if that's what's happening, they're just not doing a good enough job capitalizing behind that and taking advantage of that distraction. And that is where I will point straight back to your inept offensive coordinator who has no idea how to strategize an offense. Go ahead. Yeah. I just, I feel like with Watson, if he could just get a couple of plays, a couple of big plays, like it's all, he'll get hot and it'll start clicking for him. And then, then from there he'll take off, but it's getting those plays. So, you know, maybe some slants, some digs over the middle, like, some easy completions, just get the ball in his hands. How about some crossing routes or, or drags? We haven't seen really any of that with him this year. Get the ball in his hands where he's catching it and able to use his speed um, instead of making a jump ball down the field or something like that. It, he doesn't seem to track the, the deep balls well either, and that's been an issue too. So let's just get the ball in his hands easy, and Maybe he can get us some yards after the catch and, and build it up from there, build his confidence, and hopefully take off from that point forward because, you know, he's struggling right now, and, and the offense as a whole struggles when they try to feed him the ball because it's, it's just not happening, and, and there's just too many mistakes when, when they are looking in his direction. Now, be careful, Tim. You say too much of that on Twitter, you're going to get the entire Watson family coming at you I know. with uh, fury. <laughs> and and let me just say this let me say this because i think that there is um i don't know there's there's two conflicting perspectives in the watson family versus packers twitter spat that's been going on this week and if y'all aren't on uh twitter you have no idea what i'm talking about um but it is certainly interesting to say the least so um if you're not on Twitter and what I'm talking about right now is confusing to you, well, I'll catch you up. So um, Packers Twitter is particularly, we'll say hostile sometimes, right? You know, there, there's there's a few trolls in the bunch out there that have some really ugly things to say uh, when the team's not doing well. And I will be the first to say that that ain't the way to be. Shouldn't be like that. Guys, we got to have reasonable perspectives you know and and we get on here and i have plenty of choice words for people like adam stinovich but 
I have no ill will towards the person, Adam Stinovich. I wish nothing but the best for him. And if he is uber successful as an individual, that means he's being successful in his job, which means he's being successful as the offensive coordinator of the Packers, which is a good thing for me as a fan. Um, so I want that. And I want that for every coach and player with the Packers. That should be easy for every fan to say. Uh, it should not be a hard thing. And anybody who wants to give the Watson family crap for defending their family, uh, you know, m- maybe, maybe take a look in the mirror, take some inventory on your own stuff going on there. Um, family should defend family. I think that that is awesome. I think it's cool that like they're, they're out there. It's not just one. It's, not, it's like his mom, it's his brother, it's his dad. They're all out there. I think his wife gets out there. I don't, maybe even his sister. I think it's fantastic. What I will not tolerate and what I went head to head with uh, Christian Watson's dad about is I will not tolerate slander against this fan base because this fan base has some of the most incredible people I have ever met in my entire life. And this fan base has a notorious reputation for treating visiting fans better than anybody else when you come to Lambeau. And it's not even close. So I will not tolerate an ounce of slander against this fan base. So, Mr. Watson, if this somehow reaches your ears, um, continue defending your son. I love it. I'm a father, and I think that it is admirable and absolutely what you should do. When you want to call the Packers fan base as bad as it gets and schizophrenic and compare us to the fans in Philly who are notoriously some of the absolute worst – I will not tolerate that, man. You sit down. Like You have no more room to talk. You can go after the trolls all you want, and you'll get a whole lot of people behind you doing the same thing. I will stand side-by-side with Bears and Vikings fans to put down bad Packer trolls. I will not tolerate any gross Packer trolls, like cheering on injuries, things like that, saying like gross things to individuals as humans. Zero tolerance for that. But, man, you want to call this fan base as bad as it gets? That is just as intolerable. You Get out of here, man. Like You have known this fan base for less than two years. This fan base is made up of people who sat in the ice bowl. They sat on a frozen bench in the coldest game in NFL history to watch this team. And those people are still here, plenty of them. I will tolerate zero slander of this fan base this fan base is as good as it gets and if you want to reduce this fan base to the worst of the internet you have you are no better than the worst of the internet and that is those are my thoughts that had to be said so i'm sorry to take that time and distract us there tim but that was something that was bubbling up this week and i just won't have it i won't have it this fan base is too awesome it's filled with amazing people and they don't deserve that. They just don't deserve to be lumped in with the worst of the internet. Because the worst of the internet's pretty stinking bad, regardless of what team they cheer for. Um, all right. Well, any thoughts on that, man? My only thoughts are well said, and like my own, my two cents are: he's trying to defend his son, which I get, and good for you as a father. But then it gets toxic, like so many things on Twitter and social media. Like, just. Hey, put out what you got to say about your son. Defend him if you have to, as your as his father, and then just log off. Like, right? That's it. Let it be. But 
as we see too much on Twitter, it can't, you know, nobody can ever let it go and it gets nasty. And yeah, it was, it's completely unnecessary. And anybody that's ripping him or making it per, well, ripping Christian Watson more so and making it personal with Watson, I don't condone that either. If you want to criticize his football play, like, like we do and we have, that's one thing. Yeah. But don't make it personal. Um, for a no. father to defend his son, I have no problems with that at all. Go ahead and do that. But Zero. like, don't get, don't make it personal with the fans either. That's unnecessary. Like, just say your piece and walk away. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Well, here we are. We've said our piece. We're going to walk away. Yeah. We got a Chargers game to look at here. So something very interesting. And we get to continue talking about Christian Watson because he is part of my answer to uh, one of these questions here. But um, we are without Jair again. So well, Keenan Allen is going to be an issue. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we get him back. But I don't know. We don't know yet. Yeah. Early in the okay, week. so we're not sure yet. Yeah, I get. Well, yeah, I guess today's Wednesday. We get the uh, injury report today, so yeah. um, we'll find out. But you know, it, it's he might not be there, right? So yeah. if if you got if you've got Keenan Allen without Jair out there, um, hey, I guess we're gonna get to see what Valentine's really made of. Huh? Yeah, and honestly, like even if Jair plays, one, how healthy is he? But even if he plays, Keenan Allen's gonna be a problem regardless. He's a tough cover for anyone. And having watched the Chargers last week against the Lions, they move him around a ton. So he'll be inside in the slot a lot. They move him outside. They motion him. They put him in bunches. Like, if Jair's playing, yeah, you want to say, you know, whatever the game plan was last year when they played Justin Jefferson and Lambeau, just do the same thing. That would be great. And you want Jair following him around. But it's going to be a lot more complicated than that. Um, and if, obviously, if Jair's not playing, it, it's, it's going to be a big headache. You have to have a plan for him. You have to have, you know, bracket coverage. You, you got to press him if you can at the line. You, he's your game plan on defense. Is taking away Keenan Allen. Now, having said that, don't don't ignore the run defense, Joe Barry. The Chargers don't run the ball well. <laughs> um, they don't run the ball a lot, and they don't run it well. But they can probably go back and look at the Steelers film and be like, you know what? We can run on this Packers team pretty easily. So be prepared to see Austin Eckler run the ball. Um, and they're also going to throw him a lot of passes too. But to me, yeah. the number one priority is having a plan to cover Keenan Allen. He's going to get his catches. It's just, you got to limit how many and how explosive they are. Um, he's a really good receiver. They've lost, they have had injuries at the other receiver spots. So it's kind of just him right now as the main guy. Um, but against a good Lions defense, he lit them up. I think he had 11 catches for like a buck 75. They they couldn't cover him. So that's the main target. You know, you got to have two guys on him, a safety and a corner, and whatever you got to do to to minimize his damage um, with a really good quarterback throwing him the ball. And we haven't seen very many good quarterbacks against the Packers this year, so it's going to be. That'll be a challenge, just the difference in, you know, the Kenny Pickett's, Brett Rippins, and Jimmy Garoppolo's of the world that they've seen. Now you're going up against a real NFL quarterback and Justin Herbert. Um, big time step up in competition. So yeah, to me it's no doubt. What's it gonna take? You gotta you gotta limit Keenan Allen and then on the other side of the ball offensively, the Chargers defense stinks. And they got a lot of big names, Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Derwin uh, Duran James. Big names, but they give up a ton of yards and they give up a ton of points. 
They make some big splashy plays. They're pretty high up there in sacks, but I think if you go back and look at it, a lot of their sacks come in like two or three games this year. Um, they will yeah. for, force some turnovers, but they kind of seem like they're, they're a defense that makes those plays in bunches. It's not like sustainable week to week. Um, they just gave up over 500 yards to the Lions, 41 points. If they're, I believe, the 32nd ranked pass defense now as far as yards per game. They're not good um, defensively, and they have a defensive head coach who calls the plays. That's a problem um, for the Chargers. So if you can protect Love, if you can slow down Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, you should be able to feast on them. And if you have problems moving the ball and scoring points against this defense and you're able to pass protect well, that's a problem for your offense because this is not a defense that should be shutting you down. They're not good defensively. Um, to me, the whole offensive game plan is protect the edge rusher or stop, slow down the edge rushers. And you should be able to move and score points on this team. Um, I would get Aaron, you know, we always want to get Aaron Jones going. If we can get him going early in the game, set up play action, they give up explosive plays. They're actually worse than the Packers, if you can imagine that, and the amount of explosive plays <laughs> per game that they give up. Um, Hold my beer. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> this is a team, like, we, we're seeing some steps from the offense. They could take a big step on Sunday against this Chargers defense. Could be a sh- Yeah. Perhaps. It, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I I wanted to kind of agree with you there on on this Chargers team and how good or not good they are. Um, they're one game better than the Packers. They're four and five, mm-hmm. and the teams that they have beaten include the Vikings, the Raiders, the Bears, and the Jets. So, not a not not nothing in there is very impressive. Um, you know, they, they've lost to the teams they're supposed to lose to, you know, the Dolphins, the Titans, the Cowboys, the Chiefs, the, and the Lions in a shootout. So, in my opinion, this is this team is very much on the same level as the Packers. You've got talent. Um, talent. You know, yeah, there's talent on both sides, both teams here, but for whatever reason, they're struggling. You know, that the Chargers defense stinks and they've got a defensive head coach. The Packers offense stinks and they've got an offensive head coach. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting matchup. Not, I would say not unlike last week, except yeah, the, the quarterback talent is noticeably better. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. Like if there's an opportunity to take a step forward, you know, this is one of them. Yeah, this is, awesome. this is a chance for, you know, I think you were about to say it, you know, might we get our first shootout, uh, of the Jordan love era? I think that'd be kind of fun to see. Yeah. I, I think they're going to give up points on defense. Um, they're not, I, I would be shocked if they're able to hold the Chargers under 20 points. So you're going to need points to win. I, I know there's big names on the Chargers defense, but they're just they're not playing well on defense. They haven't all year. So, yeah, this, there's an opportunity here to take a step forward. And I'd much, I'd much rather see this team in shootouts than what we've seen in these ugly, low-scoring games. Like, hey, if – if they're going to lose, lose scoring a lot of points because yeah. it's much more entertaining yeah, exactly. and it's showing that your quarterback and your offense are taking that step. And at the same time, it's showing that your defense is giving up a lot of points and maybe that'll clue Matt LaFleur in that he needs to make a change at coordinator on defense. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that, that will help the case a little yeah. bit, but yeah, I think that, you know, if, if they lose this game 48 to 45, I'll take it. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. We'll be able to talk great about, to you know, we'll be able to talk about their, their offense making progress next week, which is what this whole season is about to me, especially obviously a quarterback, which we're in love, but yeah. Right. Right. No, I agree, man. All right. So, you know, we're talking about here what we expect from this game and uh hopefully we could get our first shootout. I'll take that. Love to see that. Um what do you think it would take to win though? Like what what is it like what's the one thing? I've see, I see two here, but you got to pick one thing um to win. What do you think it is? I think it's you got to limit the mistakes on offense, whether that's the big mistakes okay. like the turnovers that we've seen or just a little mistakes that kind of continue to build up, you know, missing blocks, missing your assignments, dropping passes, not winning contested catches, like limit how many, limit how many mistakes you're making offensively, because I think if they can do that, they're going to be able to move the ball and score points this week. Yeah, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I think that kind of plays into uh, one of those things we talked about, which is, you know, pass protect against Mac and Bosa. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for me, it, it's, it's a little bit more specific, but still along the same line. I think Christian Watson needs to win deep. You know, it's very clear that defenses are respecting him. They're, they're giving him, you know, less single coverage than anybody else. I think his, his speed and size warrants that because if you leave him alone, uh, I, I get it. The first play of his career against the Vikings, he dropped it. But it, I, I think if you leave him alone anymore, he's not going to drop it again, right? So we're all talking about he needs to learn how to make contested catches and stuff. It's like, well, let's point back to the fact that this kid's having to do that with the least amount of single coverage of any receiver in the league. So you know, you're, that's all he's getting. I guess in a, on a good, on one hand, that's good because he'll get a lot of reps trying to beat single coverage and win contested catches on another hand that's that's a tough way to learn you know that's a very tough way to learn it's a tough way to learn not just how to to catch the ball but to run your routes if you're used to running your routes against you know one-on-one or specific defenses and now all of a sudden you're having to learn how to run your routes against two guys damn near every time that's different you gotta you gotta have a different release you have to have a different break there's differences in there so I, I think that, that I'm willing to give him plenty of grace to learn all these things. He's having to learn in probably one of the toughest environments uh, possible, but that could produce results very quickly. So I think if he can win deep, use that speed, I think he can probably outrun damn near every DB in, in the Chargers secondary. Just win one of those, one. And I think that that, that opens up the rest of the offense quite a bit. Um, so we'll see. That that'd be my key there. I would love to say it. I think there's there's a lot of things though right now that that are, you know, stock is pointing upward, right? Dontavian Wicks is one that's that's pretty fun to think about and talk about right now. Um, on that, yeah, and Musk, they finally we were the ones starting Musgrave mania, man. We need to bring it back. Yeah, they finally were getting two shots down the field to him this week, which was nice to see. It wasn't just you know the normal dump offs that we've seen. They down the middle of the field on one, and then he ran a, a corner route. Um, for the, his other catch that was deep. So it was, that was cool. It was nice to see. We need more of that. So yeah. he's taken some snaps. Jaden Reed continues to produce. And like you said, Wicks. So, um, you know, those young. Well, the thing that's interesting about all of that, 
is the, the more you get double coverage on Christian Watson, the more you can go after Luke Musgrave. And the more Musgrave is successful in that middle, the more they're going to have to loosen up on Watson. So if, if you can get Watson more in single coverage, maybe he can make that contested catch um, or at least learn how to. But anyway, yeah, man, I, I there's just a lot of encouraging things. You know, we're looking at this. Uh, there's this graph, and, and we've referenced it a few times, but I guess for uh, – uh, the visual folks, you know, if you, you need the description here, it's a graph of um, receivers in the NFL through week 10 run with a minimum of 150 routes run. So these are the guys that have been on the field. And it's showing um, their separation versus single coverage as it, you know, as a uh, comparison to the percent of routes run against single coverage. So Christian Watson has the least number of routes run against single coverage and of, of all these receivers chris godwin is the next one uh you know tank dell calvin austin and then there's a cluster uh, of some of these other guys um but then on the the right side of the graph is where you have separation facing single coverage uh mike evans is is out ahead by a lot uh, followed by Garrett Wilson. And then in third place on this metric is none other than Dontavian Wicks. He is the third best receiver through 10 weeks at getting separation against single coverage. And that is ahead of the likes of Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Brandon Ayuk, uh, fellow rookie Tank Dell. And then, you know, further in the back, some other big names, you know, AJ a. Brown, um, but yeah, third best receiver at getting separation against single coverage. That's your fifth round pick right there. That that's not Jaden Reed. That's not Romeo Dobbs. That's not Christian Watson. That's not Luke Musgrave. Y'all, if we give these folks some some time to develop, we've got some pieces here. We we we've got some pieces that other teams are being forced to take note of. And it's it's almost like it's happened. Like they're almost trying to nip it in the bud, right? Like they're not letting Christian Watson have a breakout season. They're like, no, that guy's dangerous. Not going to happen. He's not helping himself. I'm sure somebody's screaming at me right now. Learn. He's got to learn how to make a contested catch. I get it. I get it. But there are silver linings here. We can embrace. We can celebrate. Um. So yeah, Dontavian Wicks, Christian Watson. Very. You know, there's optimistic things there. But Luke Musgrave. We started Musgrave mania at the beginning of the season. We were very, very excited about this man. And I think the more you see Christian Watson get double covered, the more you're going to see Musgrave open up in the middle of the field. And if he can get his legs underneath him, now he's still got. He's in that baby deer mode. Uh, that man is going to be dangerous. He's going to be as dangerous as it gets. And I'm not going to say he's more dangerous than the, the Kelsey's of the world, but uh, he's going to start banging on that door as far as his role in the offense. I, I think that that is something next season we should all be very excited about. Yeah, they haven't had a threat like that at tight end since Jermichael Finley. So definitely changes right. for the offense to have a dude like that that can win down the middle. No doubt. All right, man. Let's get into our uh, our picks here this week. Um, so we got first up on the docket the Bears at the Lions. Um, it looks like we agree on this matchup, Tim. Who do you have here? Got the Lions. Justin Fields is going to make his return. I don't think it's going to matter. The Lions are much better, and uh, Bears still suck. 
The Bears still suck. Yeah, the Lions look pretty good. Um, they're they're rolling right now. I don't have any cheeky criticisms for them. They just they look like a good team, man. So what can you say? I agree. I think the Lions will uh, handily beat the Bears. Um, and then we get a lovely matchup of the Vikings at the Broncos. Two unlikely teams both uh, look like they have life right now. I mean, I definitely thought the Broncos would be dead in the water by now, and they're not, uh, having just beat the Bills. Um, and the Vikings now thought that they were dead at quarterback, and all of a sudden Josh Dobbs looks like a pretty good quarterback. So um, interesting matchup here. Uh, what, who Can you pick the Vikings in this one too? I can. It, it's it's weird. Like a few weeks ago, I never thought this would be an interesting ma- matchup, but it is. The Broncos, I mean, maybe they turn their season around by beating the Packers. Um, because Goodness I mean, gracious. They don't look great, but they're winning ball games and getting it done and definitely proved from earlier in the season. And the Vikings, they lose Justin Jefferson for four weeks. They won all four games without him. They lose Kirk Cousins. They make a trade for Josh Dobbs, and he's rallied on the two wins. It's they're hot. I mean, I I don't like the Vikings, um, but I got to give them credit where credits due. They're playing really good football. The defense has improved since early in the year. They they made a defensive coordinator change, brought in a new dude with a new system, Brian Flores, and it you know, huh? Yeah, how about that? The, huh. the first coach didn't stick with his coordinator more than one year. Made a change for a more aggressive scheme, and it's working out. Huh. Weird. Sheesh, imagine that. Yeah, who would who would have thought? Um, anywho, and Josh Dobbs is playing really good football for him. So, yeah, I hate to do it, but I, I think the Vikings stay hot and win this game in Denver. Man, I can't pick the Vikings. Uh, so I'm, I'm really glad that the Broncos just beat the Bills because I actually have a reason to pick the Broncos. Um, you know what, here's, here's my take on this and not that I think that I'm right, but if, if I had to make a take on, you know, Josh Dobbs, not continuing, uh, the streak that he's on, you know, and looking like a stud, um, I think he's been playing like backyard ball, you know, and I don't know how good he is at getting through a progression or, you know, leading an offensive scheme. So, you know, I think eventually he's going to have to contend with that. This Broncos uh, defense actually looks like they're playing well. I guess getting 70 points hung up on you will do that. Um, but yeah, so uh, I will, I will take the Broncos here. I, you know, and despite all the shots fired, I, I do think Sean Payton's a good leader. Uh, I don't know that he deserves to be held in, you know, the highest regard that he is. I think that McCarthy is probably still the better head coach between the two. Um, and somehow a lot of people position Peyton ahead of McCarthy, but they have the same number of rings. So anyway, um, I think he's a good leader though. I think he's already demonstrated the ability to turn that group around, even after facing some pretty intense adversity. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I don't have a problem picking the Broncos there. And I, I just really believe that'll be an interesting matchup. I, I, re- I think more than anything, I'm not sure what to expect from it, to be honest. Yeah. And I think eventually the, uh, the Josh Dobbs, he'll come back down to earth. Like it's, this isn't going to. Yeah. I think that's what will happen. So, all right. Well, so next we got, of course, our matchup that we are most interested in. We got the chargers coming to Lambeau field. Um, who you got, Tim? So I think it's a winnable game for the Packers. I think they can 
like we talked about earlier, I think they can score points and move the ball against this team. But I don't think they're going to come out on top. I think it's another close game that they're going to fail to to pull out in the end. I just I don't trust the defense. I don't trust them to be able to have a plan to neutralize Keenan Allen or to put pressure on Justin Herbert. And I think uh, the pass rush, maybe it won't be a consistent pass rush on Jordan Love, but I think at times they're going to get some pressure on him and it's going to either force mistakes, whether that's turnovers or it's just going to back them up and get them behind the chains where they've struggled so much this year on second and longs and third and longs. I, I just don't see them consistently in this game um, being able to overcome their mistakes or not or not making mistakes in this game. So, yeah, I think it's it's another game that's going to be close and going to be one where we look back on it and say, yeah, the Packers could have won it if they would have just, you know, limited a few of their their big mistakes in the game, but they didn't, and the Chargers are going to come out on top. All right. Well, I'm going to uh, make another attempt at getting a point on you, and I'm going to pick the Packers here. Um, I do think it's a winnable game. I don't know that I can make the strongest case that they will win the game. Um, you know, even if the Packers' offense takes a step forward, I am uh, just less than optimistic that Joe Barry's defense is going to get pressure on um, on Herbert. And I think that's what you need to beat Herbert. Herbert's got an, a, just a cannon. The, the ball jumps out of his hand. Um, and when he makes the right decisions and he's kind of in a rhythm, he is definitely he's going to be really tough to beat. Um, so if you can make him uncomfortable, I think that's the, the key to, to winning this game. And they have the tools to do it. You know, you've got your uh, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, Luke Van Ness, you've got a decent stable of pass rushers. You know, like I said last week, fire the missiles, man. You know, make them uncomfortable. Um, you can make up for a lot of other or gaps in other areas when you do that. I just don't have confidence that they'll do that. So I, I don't know. I, I would like to see it happen. I am going to pick the Packers to win this one on the uh, idea that the offense takes a step forward, finds a nice rhythm against a bad defense, and um, that the you know the West Coast boys don't like playing up there in the, the chilly Lambeau weather. Um, so, yeah, I'll take the Packers by a hair. I think that uh, and if I get what I want, this will be a shootout, and they'll win something like 48 to 45. I think that'd be cool, but we'll see. So what are your final thoughts, man? Final thoughts are let's – you know, I hope it is a shootout. That'd be great. It'd be entertaining to see, and it would mean progress for the offense. So that's what I'm hoping for. And I hope, I just hope that they can keep taking some small steps that will eventually lead to the big steps that they need to take offensively. So, you know, it's a winnable game, and I would love for them to pull the upset and us to be able to come in here and talk about, okay, that was one that a lot of people weren't expecting them to win, and it's something that they can build on going in, you know, to the rest of the season. So, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Hoping for the best. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens on Sunday. I, I think there's progress and the potential to make big progress against the Chargers. I agree with you, man. I'm optimistic that they're making progress. It does seem like they've done that the last few weeks. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping for the same thing. And I'm hoping that uh, all of you will come back and listen next week to see uh, what happened, what 
you know, what are we getting into then? And uh, what does Christian Watson's family have to say about it? <laughs> See if they're still firing shots off at the fan base. Um, but most of all, hopefully we've got a win to talk about and, uh, you know, some exciting things from Jordan Love and, and the offense and uh, even the defense, man. If, if Joe Barry's defense plays well enough that we've got to sit here and be worried that he's not going to get fired, I guess we'll at least get to enjoy the week. You know, we'll get to enjoy what that looks like against uh, you know, a pretty good offense. Or it could be a good offense. So come back and join us next week, y'all. We love talking about the pack. We love connecting with y'all on Twitter at Pack Weekly Pod. Um, come talk to us. Let's, let's get into it. Disagree with us. Tell us where we're wrong. Uh, all of that fun stuff. Uh, but most of all, just enjoy watching the pack this week. We've still got football on our TVs. We're not in the drought of the offseason where we have to pick apart mini camp uh, practices and wonder who's going to do what. We get to watch real football. So let's enjoy that. Let's enjoy being Packer fans. And uh, most of all, go pack, go.